Hey, it's us, hosts of The Journal. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. And we're here in your feed on a weekend because today we're launching something new. It's a five-part special series. We're calling it To the Moon. It starts in that moment in January when shares of GameStop, the video game retailer, went through the roof. You might remember, amateur investors poured their money into the stock, which was partly a big gamble and partly a middle finger to Wall Street. Ever since, journal producer Annie Minoff has been digging into how we got to that GameStop moment. And that's a story that she's going to tell, starting right now. Here's Annie. When shares of GameStop shot up more than 2,000% this January, it shocked Wall Street. I hadn't realized just how much until I talked to a guy named Anthony Chikumba. Anthony's a stock analyst at Loop Capital Markets. He digs into companies and then advises his clients, which are mostly hedge funds and money managers, about whether they should buy or sell the company's stock. And for years, one of the companies that Anthony dug into was GameStop, the chain of brick-and-mortar video game stores. I covered GameStop for about a decade, so I go way, way back. I go back with prior management teams. I go back with prior video game cycles. I mean, this is a company that I know extremely well. There are fewer than 10 stock analysts in the world who follow GameStop. Anthony was one of them. He poured over the company's financials, visited tons of its stores. And earlier this year, he came to a realization. GameStop would probably meet the same fate as another outdated entertainment chain. This is blockbuster all over again. We've seen how this movie ends. It doesn't end well. Is there anything in your mind that could make GameStop a successful company? No. Anthony's thesis about GameStop was simple. More and more of its customers were downloading video games online. They didn't need to go to a physical store anymore. And no amount of pivoting by GameStop's management was going to change that. I mean, I have a very difficult time thinking about any retailer that completely revamped their strategy and turned their business around. I mean, you can make tweaks to your strategy, but you can't just suddenly become a completely different company. And and unless they can become a completely different company, they are going to zero. To zero. And when you say GameStop is going to zero, that means no more GameStop. Bankrupt. We've seen it happen before. Blockbuster, JCPenney, Sears, Radio Shack, eventually GameStop. So on Monday, January 11th, Anthony did something that he'd been mulling over for a while. He broke up with GameStop. He decided he wasn't going to follow the stock anymore. I even took the stock off of, like, my stock screens. Like, so I wasn't actually seeing the price. Like, I typically see the price of all my companies. I wasn't monitoring. I didn't really care anymore. Two days passed. And then... We want to start off looking at shares of GameStop. That stock up 61% this morning and on track for its best day ever. Uh, unbelievable jump. 60% uh, higher today. Crazy. GameStop a stock that Anthony thought was worth maybe $10, was suddenly trading at $30, then $40. And that was just the beginning. Fast forward two weeks, and the stock would catapult much, much higher. $300, $350. Yeah, I mean, parabolic is the word here, Guy. You talk about this run-up from $13 a share just six or seven weeks ago in GameStop to where we are today. 301 on your screen, more than 1,000% gain gear. And a lot of this... Suddenly, Anthony Chikumba was getting a lot of calls from curious clients. And they were all saying, what's going on with GameStop? On those phone calls, do you remember what you're telling them? Are you like, 
I don't know. I was telling them, I don't know what's going on. I, I mean, there was nothing else for me to say. And and it was, I mean, it was just, it was discombobulating. It was, it was disturbing. I mean, what the hell is going on? I had no idea what the hell was going on. And that's just a very different position for me to be in. I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, well, 15 years. and I've just never been in a position. Yeah, like you're one of the literally 10 people on the planet. So you should know. Yes, that, that's correct. That's correct. I should have known. Yes, I should have. But I did not. I did not. I tell this story not to single out Anthony Chikumba. The fact is, a lot of people did not see the GameStop surge coming. The stock brokerages didn't. Hedge funds didn't. Financial media didn't. I definitely didn't. And partly that's because of who was rallying around GameStop. It was retail traders, which is Wall Street's jargony word for normal people small-time, individual investors. Had retail traders ever influenced your analysis of a stock before, ever? No. Nope. Absolutely not. Nope. Never. (laughs) Never. Did you think about them ever? No. (laughs) No, I did not. For decades, Wall Street pretty much ignored individual investors. But when GameStop started surging, they couldn't anymore. Suddenly, the amateurs were banding together, raking in money and inflicting pain on Wall Street in the process. So today, we're going to meet the investors who jumped aboard the GameStop rocket. This is To the Moon, Episode 1. How much does an island cost? This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. One of the people who sent GameStop to the moon last January was Michael Yeoman. Yeah, my name is uh, Michael Yeoman. I live in uh, Beaverton, Oregon, which is uh, just a little bit west of Portland. Uh, I'm an electrician. Ask Michael about his relationship to money, and he'll tell you he's a saver. For a 32-year-old, he thinks about retirement a lot because he's seen what happens when you can't retire. So I have two dads, my, my stepdad and my biological dad. Both of them are older, their health is failing them, and they both work in very physically demanding jobs, much as, uh, as I do. Michael's stepdad is a tire buster. He changes tires. His biological dad is a maintenance guy. He maintains rich people's houses down in the Florida Keys. And a few years ago, he got cancer. Having a third of his lung removed out of each lung. Oh, man. Two different cancers at the exact same time. He still has to go to work and he's, you know, wheezing and and just it's rough on him, but he has no choice. He has to go make money. You know, seeing that as you get older and your health fails you, it doesn't matter that you were a hard worker your whole life. You have to also be a smart one. You need that security in your older age because I've been raised by the people that work the hardest, but eventually that strength fails you and you need to be prepared for when that happens. So Michael always tried to be prepared. For years, he invested in mutual funds. He set it up so part of his paycheck would go to his brokerage account every month, automatically. He'd hardly even look at that money. 
And then last December, Michael shifted course radically. And he did the thing that Wall Street didn't see coming. So I decided to kind of uh, rob the piggy bank a little bit just to uh, see how this was all going to play out. He cashed out almost all of his investment account, about $50,000, and bought shares of GameStop. Michael's thesis was that GameStop was crucially undervalued. And he wasn't the only one making a drastic move like this. Dan Sanders did the same thing. I believed in this so much. I emptied my savings. I emptied my checking. I have like one month of expenses in the bank. Dan lives in the Midwest. Until recently, he worked in sales. And he told me that emptying every account he had and throwing it into GameStop, this was not exactly in character for him. Dan says he's always been careful with money. He wasn't a big spender. Plus, he'd been contemplating a pretty big purchase. Part of how I was dealing with COVID was like dreaming about homeownership. Almost daily during COVID, Dan would be on the phone with his best friend, chatting about listings they'd found on Zillow. Like, this one's good. Look at this neighborhood. We'd be looking at the crime stats. I mean, we were digging into it just like I would dig into a stock. I basically narrowed it down to the Southwest because they don't have basements. Uh, they don't have second stories. And they don't have lawns. So you've eliminated a lot of major issues for me. Dan has cerebral palsy. uses a wheelchair. So basements and second floors are a no-go. Most people play it pretty safe with their money when they're thinking about buying a house. But back in December, something came over Dan. The same thing that came over Michael Yeoman. Dan took almost $150,000, almost everything he had, and went all in on GameStop. How much money was left? Maybe, maybe two grand (laughs) in my checking. And it was pretty normal for me before all this to have like 15 grand in the bank. So that is not normal behavior for me at all. But this was a certainty. Just there's no way it wasn't going to go up. When Dan and Michael bought in, GameStop stock was hovering around 15 bucks, 20 bucks a share. But they were confident the stock was about to jump much higher. Think $700, $800 maybe over $1,000 a share. And they'd become confident reading Wall Street Bets. Wall Street Bets is a message board. It's part of Reddit. And in some ways, it is exactly the CD internet forum that you might be imagining. It is, and you'll hear this reflected in this series, extremely male. Like, you can practically smell the Axe body spray wafting off of it. It's also riddled with offensive language. Homophobic slurs, ableist slurs, But the site's primary purpose, its reason for being, is to make bets. Users bet big on individual stocks, and then they post the results for everybody to see. And late last year, a lot of people were betting big on GameStop. A big reason Wall Street Bets believed GameStop could be a good gamble was because of a guy named Ryan Cohen. Ryan Cohen co-founded the wildly successful online pet supply company Chewy at age 25. He built a reputation as an e-commerce wonderkind. And last year, Ryan Cohen revealed he'd invested big in GameStop. This got Wall Street Bets excited. Like, really excited. This man is going to take us to the moon. Rocket emoji, rocket emoji. Wall Street Bets posts are sadly silent, 
but I'm going to use some robotic text-to-speech voices to just give you a flavor of these Ryan Cohen posts. The more I see of Ryan Cohen, the more confidence he instills. The guy could sell chest freezers to Eskimos. I like his blazer and his mustache. All hail Lord Cohen. Ryan Cohen is dad. Here's Michael Yeoman, the electrician. Wonder Boy Ryan Cohen shows up, and if anyone can bring uh, GameStop into the digital age and everything, oh, it's going to be this guy. And so, I mean, all this hype was coming up on Ryan Cohen, and that was the big idea at the time. But there was also another big idea circulating on Wall Street Bets last year. People on the forum knew that there were big Wall Street investors shorting GameStop. Shorting meaning that they were betting the stock's price would go down. If Wall Street bets bought enough shares of GameStop, they could potentially make Wall Street's bet backfire. They could cause something called a short squeeze, where big-time investors would have to take huge losses to get out of their bad bets. We're going to talk more about short squeezes in a future episode. What you need to know right now is that Wall Street bets saw an opportunity to extract big losses from Wall Street and make big money in the process. All they had to do was buy GameStop. And Dan Sanders did. Did you tell anyone kind of in your life about what you were doing? I told everybody in my life what I was doing. Dan convinced his brother to buy GameStop. I'm like, dude, you need to do this. This is the closest thing to a short thing we will ever see in our lives, is what I told him. Because it was just a mathematical certainty. Who else did you tell? People at work in our team's chat, I was... Guys, let me lay this out for you. Let me explain what a short squeeze is. You should do it. And they're all like, okay, Dan. <laughs> and then two weeks later. <laughs> what the heck is going on with GameStop? The stock has exploded. Huge volume. Shares this year up 1,800%. It's not a meltdown. It's a melt up on GameStop. Game all of a sudden, everybody's stop. like, so tell me more about the stock market. <laughs> the GameStop rocket ship had taken off. And Dan and Michael were on board. It's like winning the lottery in slow motion. That's after the break. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines. But are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work. Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. GameStop's stock price began to rise in mid-January. And at first, it was not a big mystery why. The stock began its climb uh, earlier this week uh, when Chewy co-founder Ryan Cohen joined the board. Activist investor Ryan Cohen, or as he's known on Reddit, 
Papa Cohen, was getting even more involved in GameStop. For people on Wall Street Bets who felt like he was the guy to turn this company around, it was a hopeful sign. But then the stock kept going up. It doubled. It doubled again. And in the final week of January, it exploded. It seemed like the short squeeze was on. This GameStop situation is the craziest I think I've ever seen. The company surged as much as 145% today. Look at this, okay? And that was just today. See that spike? Uh, almost bordering on the ridiculousness here uh, with regards to the GameStop trade. Uh, trade. Do you remember the day where it really started to feel like the rocket was taking off? Holy cow, yeah. So I was at work, and even though I'm a construction worker, I'm lucky enough to have a uh, have a laptop because I got to be able to, uh, you know, scroll the model uh, of the building. Michael Yeoman was at a job site. He was helping build a massive semiconductor factory. He remembers his buddy Zach was nearby, heading up a crew of guys installing lighting. Michael was on his laptop, scrolling the model, but also, you know, checking his Ameritrade account. Because GameStop had just been going at this point. And so I opened it up and I see just like a solid wall of green and it's just going up. And I'm like, Zach, 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 get over here. And so he comes over and he looks at this and he's just looking at this going, what am I looking at? And I'm like, you see, you see this green number right here? Yeah. That's how much money I've made today. He looks at this. He looks at me and he's just like, what? Are those zeros? Where's the decimal point? <laughs> you know, and it just it just going up. And uh, I think it was like an hour later, I'm like, Zach, Zach, get over here. It's doing it again. <laughs> and it's going up some more. And, you know, he had he had told me, you know, the first time he's like, you need to sell, sell. Why are you not selling? You just made like a year's profit right there. And I was like, why would I do that? It's still going up. It never ends. It's a this is a rocket ship and we're going to the moon. That day, Michael's account hit about a million dollars. By comparison, in his best year as an electrician, he made 150K. Wall Street Bets was on fire. I mean, it's just like a mad frenzy of like, you know, people patting their backs and uh, patting everyone else's backs and cheers, champagne, uh, memes. I love you guys. Kiss emoji. To the newly minted multimillionaires, f*** you, and congratulations. Rocket emoji, rocket emoji, rocket emoji. It was all kind of feeding into itself. It's, you know, one person goes, we're going to the moon. And the next person posts like 10 different rocket emojis and like, oh yeah, we're, we're only going up. And so when everybody is saying this, it's like, we, we all can't be wrong, right? Every day that week, individual investors piled into GameStop. They piled in for a quick buck or because they believed in the company are because this was starting to feel like a revolution. The little guys versus the suits. By this point, the end of January, Wall Street Bets was front-page news. The forum had ballooned to almost 8 million members. And journalists, analysts, curious investors were all lurking on the site, looking for clues about what was going to happen next. Stock analyst Anthony Chicumba was on it. You know, I went on to Wall Street Bets to find out what this thing was and try to get some insights. And the more, I mean, it was like Alice in Wonderland. Half million dollar game stop YOLO. Take me to Tendi Town. Hold the line. Apes together strong. We like the stock. Give me Tendies or give me death. Diamond hands. I was just like, this is idiotic. 
Wall Street Bets is drenched in jokey, extremely niche slang. Tendies, short for chicken tenders, means making a huge gain. Diamond hands means someone who's not selling. This is not a stock language that Anthony knew, or wanted to know. For years, he'd worked hard to understand the fundamentals of GameStop's business. He did the work. I'm digging through financial reports. I'm going to stores. I'm talking to suppliers. I'm talking to customers. I'm talking to these management teams. I'm talking to investors. I'm crunching a bunch of numbers, right? I mean, this is, this is my life. This is what I do. You know, and then I go on to Wall Street Bets, and it's all about rocket hands and memes and, you know, to the moon and just idiocy. And I'm, and I'm literally like, wow, I didn't go to Harvard Business School for this shit. But in this Alice in Wonderland world, Harvard did not matter. GameStop's fundamentals didn't matter. This was essentially the same company that had traded for 20 bucks a share a few weeks ago. Except now it was trading at 10 times, 15 times that. Dan and Michael's accounts were ballooning. Here's Michael, the electrician again. I didn't even see dollars going up. It started going up by like 20,000s, and then all of a sudden hundreds of thousands. All I remember is I'm looking at it and I see $800,000 in my account. And I'm just like, is this even real? Hitting $50,000 meant more to me because that's how much money I had. You know, like that, that was what I started with. I doubled my money. Like this is, this is amazing. Like $50,000 made sense to me. Once I hit 800,000, I was kind of broken on the inside. I'm looking at the screen. I see numbers, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Like what is, what is numbers? What, what does this even mean? Like, what can this get me? I have no idea. Um, how much, how much do islands cost? Eventually, Michael would be looking at $1.8 million in his brokerage account. Dan would be looking at over $2 million. Dan remembers those days the market became all-consuming. He'd wake up at 3 a.m. to follow overseas trading and then hop on the phone with his brother. And they'd stay on the line for hours just watching their money grow. Because... You know, here's a stock we bought in at like 14 and it went up a dollar. Well, now it's going up $20. Now it's doubling. Now it's tripling. And we're just watching that while on the phone with each other. Just like, what is life? It's like winning the lottery in slow motion. Were you getting any work done? Not a lot. And that's part of what led me to quit. <laughs> it was becoming increasingly hard to care about my job because, you know, I make roughly fifty dollars to $60,000 a year. And it's not bad where I live. It's a decent salary. But how are you supposed to care about that when you're making four years of salary in a day over and over and over? How am I supposed to care? So at a certain point, I just said to my boss, like, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not doing you any favors. So I just need to quit. And I gave him two weeks, and, uh, and I quit. It's important to point out that the millions that Dan and Michael had accumulated, it was all theoretical money. They hadn't sold their stock yet, and they weren't planning to for a while. They still thought the short squeeze had a long way to go. In the parlance of Wall Street bets, the squeeze had not been squoze. But they had started to dream about what they'd do with the money. For Michael, the answer was obvious. Because again, I'm thinking of retirement. And I was like, okay, if I retire today, how much do I need? 
I was like, okay, well, you know, my math and everything is like, okay, I need $4 million, 3% a year, $120,000 a year. Perfect. I could do that. So I need $4 million. And at one point I was up to $1.8 million. And so at this point I'm thinking that's totally possible. Michael had seen his family struggle not being able to retire, even after years of backbreaking work. But that wasn't going to be his story. As for Dan, he'd spent the last few months looking at listings for houses that were great except for something. Great except for the stairs. Great except for the basement. Great except for the neighborhood wasn't accessible. One of the challenges of being a person with a disability in in a wheelchair is you literally have to tool around the neighborhood and Google Maps and look at the sidewalks. And, you know, most people don't even give that a second thought. But if they don't do curb cuts, you know, you can't live there. And then the hardest part is, of course, the house itself. Like, no house is built for me. No one who isn't already disabled or has someone who's disabled has a house that's built for me. You know, like, you can't get in the front door. But suddenly, Dan had over $2 million in his brokerage account. Now I'm like, I don't have to buy a $200,000 house. I can buy a $500,000 house. None of these issues matter anymore because I can just throw money at them until they go away. Like, it doesn't matter what it costs to alter these homes. I can just do it. Money meant the ability to remake the world so that for once, it was actually built for you. On January 29th, Dan logged into Reddit to say thanks to the traders who'd made it all possible. Now I'm looking at $2 million in my account today. When this thing squeezes, I'll be able to buy a house anywhere I choose. I will have the money to make whatever modifications I need. I can literally throw money at any obstacle in front of me. It's giving me something to focus on, something to dream about, and I wouldn't have any of it if not for finding Wall Street Bets. So I want to pause here at the very top of the GameStop roller coaster, just before we tip over the edge. In some ways, the story you've just heard might sound familiar. It's the story of a bubble. Think tulips, beanie babies, or dot-com stocks. But in other ways, GameStop was an entirely new phenomenon, the product of specific forces colliding at a specific moment. GameStop couldn't have happened without social media, without new technology, without economic anxiety. GameStop captured the world's attention one week in January. But the forces that drove it, those had been building for years. So in the next few episodes, we're going to go back in time. We'll introduce you to the maverick who opened the markets to everyday investors and to the new trading philosophy that blossomed on Reddit. And we're also going to follow up with Dan and Michael. New episodes of To The Moon drop on Sundays. Episode two is already in your journal feed. You can go listen to that right now. In episode two, we dive deep into the history of Wall Street bets and excavate one of the message board's founding myths. I mean, it really cemented his whole fame when he put on, he put on this wolf mask. That's next time on To The Moon. This show is part of the Journal podcast, which is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. I'm your host, Annie Minoff. Our producers are Josh Sanburn and Chris Neary. Our associate producer is Willa Rubin. 
We were edited this week by Gerard Cole, Ryan Knudsen, Kate Leinbaugh, and Annie Rose Strasser, with help from Colin Campbell, Catherine Brewer, Charles Farrell, Anthony Galloway, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Lydia Polgreen, and John White. Our engineer is Griffin Tanner. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Marcus Bagala, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, Audio Network, Blue Dot Sessions, and Extreme Music. Special thanks to Caitlin McCabe. Text-to-speech voices provided by Oddcast. Show art by Emil Lendoff. Fact-checking and research by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening.